Hello and welcome to The Best Is Net To Come. My name is Josh and I'm joined as always by Rick and Mike. Today we're going to talk about the Nets and their OT win against the Hawks last night. They beat the Hawks in overtime. The Hawks had all the right answers to the Nets and the role guys like DeAndre Hunter, who looks really great this year, and Cam Reddish, who's really having an incredible sophomore year, I think, um, played really well against the Nets. But the Nets held on. They had a tough night for foul calls. I know you guys noticed that there was a ton of calls um, that went against the Nets that were kind of ridiculous. There was like a, a defensive pass interference call and like a random pass out of bounds. You guys remember that pass? Uh, the ridiculous like over-the-head pass that they called on Kyrie. Just ridiculous stuff that kept happening to them throughout the game. But overall, um, in overtime, um, they had some good stops. They had a couple of good steals. Uh, Joe Harris actually had two of those. One of them was a steal. The other one, he knocked off of Herter, and that was pretty great. Um, However, Joe did have a streak end last night. For the first time in 79 straight games, Joey Buckets did not make a three. 79 straight games. I guess as a kind of in memoriam, Mike, could you speak on Joe's 79-game uh, streak and what that meant as a fan of the Nets over the past year? Yeah, I mean, we've said multiple times on here, Joe Harris has been the, the lasting symbol of that old Nets uh, culture change where he, you know, took the league by storm. He actually won the three-point contest uh, against Steph Curry. Like, the, the world knew Joe Harris as this three-point marksman. Now, we know him as an all-around basketball player as well. We get to see him do some nice back cuts and make some nice passes, but that uh, that streak was awesome. Joe Harris became pretty automatic in the last couple seasons. Uh, however, I knew this streak was doomed as soon as they got James Harden. Just watching the flow of the game last night, Joe Harris isn't moving quite as much. A lot of possessions, he's just kind of waiting for Harden to do something, which is fine. James Harden's playing really well now, but... I didn't see the streak going much further once they got James Harden. It just takes away too many shot opportunities. Um, Joe Harris is a volume shooter. He does take a lot of threes on a normal basis. So it was fun while it lasted, but oh well. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all good. All good things come to an end. Yeah. You, like like Mike said, you, like we all saw this coming, um, and it's sad too because you know any streak for your team is always fun. But I don't know. I think the three point streaks are just a little extra fun added to them um and and joe harris kind of like represents i think what it is to be a net or at least what it was to be a net um you know work hard come from nothing and like make something out of yourself like the lovable underdogs like we used to be you know now we're the villains and uh, i've said before i don't know if i've said it on the podcast but joe harris is kind of like mr net yeah, you so, did. You said, uh, it, you said it last time. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, right, you're he, right about that. He's kind of like Mr. Net, so and it, which is not unlike Captain America. So like I'm thinking to myself, because <laughs> um, we all remember like that end scene in a uh, Avengers Endgame. So like I'm thinking to myself, Joe Harris, like, are you going to make a three? Is it going to happen? Like, are you going to do it? And just like Captain America, Joe Harris was like, No, I don't think I will. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'll say though? I'm glad he didn't force it to try to keep the streak alive because every possession mattered last night. And if he had chucked up a couple bad shots or the Nets had tried to feed him, I'm glad they didn't. That's why he's yeah. Mr. Net, though. He always makes sure. I, I kind of thought they brought him back in the game because of that streak, though. I thought that yeah. they could have just put, especially like in the lat, in the crunch time, like put Bruce Brown and Jeff Green out there and you're set with this, with the big three because those guys can play decent defense. Joe Harris doesn't play defense that well. However, he did come in the game. I was thinking originally to play, to just shoot the three ball, but he played some good defense, ironically. You know, he actually had some very important stops that helped the Nets win the game. So good for Joe in terms of the last night, but it's really sad that that streak ended. Um, But there are other streaks happening currently with the Nets that we can get very excited about. Before we talk about those, I wanted to talk about how there was some really cool highlight reel offensive plays in this game. Jeff Green, Uncle Jeff had these two insane dunks. One of them was, like, pretty insane. The other one was, like, fucking nuts, where he pulled that arm back all the way and just dunked it. And he's, like, 30-something, right? We keep mentioning how old Jeff is. Only 30-somethings named LeBron make dunks like this. (laughs) And watching that dunk was nuts. DeAndre Jordan also 
jumped off the the roof of the clown car and grabbed a ball midair and just backhand dunked it. That was pretty great. And Kyrie had that awesome like under the hoop, spin the ball over your head, hit the English at the top of the the glass and it just fell right in the net. Beautiful layup um, that you know was a really great thing to watch. And it's just so fun to watching them offensively. Defensively, you know, you might need a, a brown bag next to you sometimes. But offensively, man, unbelievable watching this team. Yeah, uh, quick comment on the Jeff Green thing. So as you guys know, I've said a few times, I tend to watch some Nets games on a different feed than the Yes Network feed. Uh, so I was watching the Atlanta Hawks broadcast. And their commentators are terrible. They're biased. They're boring. They say weird things like all the time. They actually talk a lot of trash about the opposing team's players. Like they were talking trash about Joe Harris. They were talking about TLC like he was like, you know, playing junior varsity basketball. But the Jeff Green thing was really funny because he missed a three. This is his second dunk leading up to his second dunk. He missed a three and the commentator was like, oh, I bet they won't give it back to Jeff Green the rest of the game. Like he'll stand around. He won't do anything. And then the very next play, he had that dunk like driving through the lane and the commentator was like, well, I guess not. <laughs> like <laughs> it just drove me crazy listening to them talk about the opposing players, but Jeff Green, I'm glad proved him wrong. Yeah. Well, I live in the Atlanta area, so I've seen a lot of uh, Hawks games. I think a lot of something that's really funny too, like for all, at least Atlanta area sports commentators, they, um, they oftentimes like call the players by their first names. Yeah. So like, rather than it be like, Oh, Hunter for three. It'll be like, oh, nice shot there by DeAndre. <laughs> so that's just something I've really noticed. Jeff Green turning back the clock, like he almost looked like a like a dunk contest champion <laughs> with those dunks. So that was really cool to see. And and Josh, you talked about it in our in our group text while we were watching the game, because uh, obviously we watch all the games together and talk about them. How like Kyrie's shot was like a shot that you've done a million times in your driveway and maybe made twice. And that is something that I have ex- done <laughs> millions of times myself. I'm 28 years old. I still try that shot. <laughs> and I'm lucky if maybe once every three years I make it. Uh, <laughs> so, um, true. yeah, but Kyrie just just does it and he makes it look easy. And I'm, I'm trying to pretend that I'm Kyrie. And then I hope like when I miss that aren't, there's no cars driving by. And I hope that when I make it, an NBA scout is kind of looking at me. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it hasn't happened yet. Don't give up, Rick. It will happen. Don't worry. Uh, I keep but... telling myself that. <laughs> <laughs> You're you know? only going to get more athletic as the years go on, Rick. You're right. Yeah. I just think, By the time like, you're I'm... 50, man, you'll be in your prime. <laughs> yeah, right? I think so. You're right. Honestly, I think that I think they're waiting for KD, Kyrie, and, and, and uh, Jimbo Slice to like retire and then like okay now because like a big four I mean oh yeah with, I would take away all the shots from those guys <laughs> Invincible too Rick joins the Nets <laughs> now uh, we talked about Joe's streak ending and that sucks but at the same time KD just keeps breaking records KD is now only the second player in NBA history to average 30 points Within the first 15 games he's played with a new team. The last person to do that. I know you guys can see my notes. So you know the answer. But if you had to guess, what would you guess? With a new team? I mean, it w- wouldn't be Michael Jordan because he, like, the only time he went to a new team, he was 40 years old. So, I mean, I know the answer. Uh, yeah. so. I, I, I probably would have guessed Shaq or something. but Yeah, I was thinking Shaq or maybe, like, um, LeBron one of those years that he joined, like, the Heat. Nope, it was Wilt Chamberlain in 1959-1960 season with the Philadelphia Warriors. That was the last time this happened. Yeah, and you you could put an asterisk next to most of those Wilt Chamberlain records. Like, most people don't even consider them to be real records. Like, yeah, he did them. Credit to Wilt Chamberlain, fine. But, like, we don't really care that he did that in 1960. Pretty sure he averaged 50 points in a season. (laughs) So So, this is kind of like it being the first time it's ever happened, so... Shout out to Kevin Durant. Yeah. Like, yeah. And also, is Will Chamberlain even real? Like, I've never seen him in real life. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he didn't come back from an Achilles injury that season. No, yeah. That's another thing. Like, KD is just blowing everyone's mind every time he gets on the court. 
you can never think like something amazing is not going to happen because it happens every night. Dude just goes off. I think two nights ago when they played against the Heat and they won was his worst night on the court. And they, he only scored like 20 points, which is, you know, still a good line, but 20 points. Every night he's putting up 30-something usually or 28. Unbelievable. And look, if whatever happens to the rest of the season, if the next season they win the championship or they lose in the first round, I'm always going to look back on this season fondly because of the way that KD has looked so far. Just an unbelievable player. And I'm so grateful that he has chosen to put on a Brooklyn Nets jersey for that alone. Yeah, I'm not. So. I'm still not sure it's real life. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the fact that like he puts on a Brooklyn Nets jersey. I'm telling you, like every game, I'm like, holy shit! Like <laughs> he like he picked us. He didn't like get traded or drafted. He's like, yo, like I want those guys. And like it's it's funny too how you were talking about how great of a year he's having. Um, his numbers are just as good, if not better, than his MVP season. Uh, so he's really he's really having an incredible year. He's actually. If he could make a couple more shots from the line, he'll have a he'll have that illustrious 50-40-90 season. That's pretty difficult to have. He's probably I think about like 87% from the line, um, but he's over 50% from the floor. I think he's 44% from three, so he's killing it. Yeah. Oh my God, that would be amazing. We'll talk more about uh, like MVP race, uh, and we'll also talk about All Star voting started today, guys. I don't know if you know this, but we're actually a quarter away through the season already. So all-star voting has already started, and uh, I actually made my first vote, so I'll, I'll talk to you guys about those in a minute. But I want to talk a little bit about Bruce Brown. Made a huge impact last night, and I saw a stat that he's shooting 66% on two-point attempts all season so far. It doesn't shoot a lot, but that's a pretty good number for a guy who's really just a floater guy. Everything he shoots is a floater, and I love it. Now, I want to know what you guys think of that lineup, where it's Brown, Green, and the big three together. I feel like that is their most effective. I know Harris is a great shooter, but he doesn't really play good defense. And obviously, DeAndre Jordan gets rebounds, but he doesn't play defense at all. I kind of like that as their best five. What do you guys think of that five? I remember being surprised when that was the lineup under five minutes to play last night. Uh, I turned to Nick, and I was like, oh, this is usually Joe Harris time. I guess they finally realized Bruce Brown is the better defender. But then a minute later, you know, Joe Harris was back in. So I think you're right. Like, I do think that's probably their best five lineup. But when you're paying Joe Harris as much as you're paying him, you also have to justify, like, why you're paying him that much. And he's probably going to get some minutes for that reason, in my opinion, because I think Bruce Brown is the smarter player to have on the floor. Because you don't really need Joe Harris in the corner shooting threes if Harden is going to dribble and, and shoot it anyway, or if they're going to ISO Durant or, like, in that situation, Harris is better for the flow of the game throughout the game, but Bruce Brown, I think, is more important for those slowed-down possessions and then on both sides of the floor. So I think that probably is their best five lineup. It's just a shame to not have Joe Harris. Like, can, can we make it six-on-six six so we could have Joe Harris? <laughs> yeah. Can we do whatever we can to get Joe Harris on the floor? Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah you're totally right, though. I mean, I think uh, anytime. For the last like four or five minutes in the game, if Bruce Brown's not on the floor, that's a mistake. Um, you could play Joe Harris for as much as you want prior to that. Let him get his threes and his buckets because we love Mr. Net. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, Bruce Brown's got to be on the floor for those last couple minutes. Um, it's just it doesn't make sense to have Joe Harris on the floor at, at that time. And DeAndre Jordan's a clown, so yeah. <laughs> we, we don't want to close it with the clown. And it's not like Bruce can't pr- produce offensively. I think Joe's on there for his offense, for his shooting. And Bruce, okay, he's not like the best three-point shooter like like Joe is, but he can make a three-ball every now and then. You know, he did ice that game a week ago or so with a three-ball. And I love his his ability to drive. And he has really, really good timing with the way he shoots the ball in the paint. He knows exactly when to let go of those floaters. He knows exactly when to come up for the layups. And he always sticks around for the offensive rebounds. So especially in a, in a dirty game against teams where, you know, like for example on Monday, when neither team's making a bucket, you want a guy who's going to go up and grab an offensive rebound because he just missed a shot and put back a little little layup. And I'd never expect Joe to do that. But I can totally expect Bruce to do that. And I would really be much more confident in the team if they had him out there in a close game like that. 
He's got now, a heart, and you can't teach heart. That's really yeah. What it is. You, you can't teach heart. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, Reggie Perry wanted to talk about how he's really been kind of falling off the cliff here. And I'm look, Rick. I see your face, and you look really upset. I was upset last night with his performance too, but he's just not ready. You know, again, this is a guy. He's a rookie. This is his 20th game in the league. He's not ready for these big time minutes. I think he needs to fine tune his game in the G League. But TLC? He's, he's <laughs> trash. He, he, we, we enjoyed a good, like, three days of him. Uh, we got him on what our happened? steps up, and then uh, he's just trash, I think. Yeah, TLC. for all the listeners, if you go, like, back and you listen to some of our earlier episodes where we heap praise on TLC, please do us the favor, skip through, do the 30-second skip on your iPhones or whatever, and, <laughs> and skip through those parts because they were wrong. Holy shit! <laughs> this he guy can't, he can't. He can't hit the ocean. Yeah, you I know think what he's he doing. Took that map that we took him. We gave yeah. him that map, and he lit it on fire. <laughs> yes, he lit it on fire. And you know what? It, the thing is, too, it's funny. Like he's not in the clown car. Obviously, the clown car is an exclusive place for only the silliest of players. But he definitely has a really like long rope tied to the back bumper, and he's wearing like rollerblades, and he's 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 being pulled by that thing. So he's yeah. he's he's trying to get in. Um, but yeah, it's it's so bad. Like he's... you can say that about the bench entirely. I mean, look. Yes, you can. Absolutely. The Nets did this to themselves. The Nets traded away all of their bench guys for a big three, and now their bench is bad. So you can't like, you know. It's the kettle calling. Uh, what is it? What's the, the little phrase? The something calling the something black. I don't think pot calling the kettle black. black. Yeah, the pot calling the kettle black. I, I I always forget that one. I almost said it back. It's the pot calling the kettle black. You know, Nets can't can't be so um, critical of themselves um, in their bench right now with after depleting their bench. Um, but yeah, so I think what now Norvell has been signed. He was signed today. He is officially a net. He is going to be putting in those reggie perry minutes reggie perry i will not be surprised if he's on the g league in like a week and a half if he's on the long island nets in like a week and a half bro reggie perry is like playing four on five i i you are much more forgiving for reggie perry than i am i understand he's a rookie he's like a second round rookie like back of the second round rookie i i'm i've already come to the conclusion that he's just not an NBA caliber player and that's okay like it's hard to be an NBA player I just haven't even seen like a glimpse of like him like figuring it out you know what it reminds me of for anyone that's played um, on a very high level like AAU team or travel basketball team as a kid um, those teams are very competitive they have pretty complex like offensive sets and everything um, and it reminds me of like being like maybe like a bench player on that team and like the coach is like, all right, dude, like you're going in for like guy X, like, you know what you're doing. Right. And like, you nod at your coach and you're like, yeah, I got, I got, it, I know. And like, you know, you you're fucking clueless about what's going on on the floor. So like you go out on the floor and like, you're, you're like on like the right wing and the entire offense is thrown off because you don't know what you're doing. So they're like, what is he doing? Like, does he know what he's doing? And you're like, yeah, 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 I, I got it. And then, and then like your, your guy is like in the corner open because you don't even know what man you have. And I'm like, I feel like Reggie Perry is the guy who like tells Steve Nash every time he goes in. Yeah, yeah, I got it, coach. I got it. And then he gets on the floor and he's like, oh my God, what the <laughs> fuck? What's going on here? Yeah. Look, the guy will go to the G League and, you know, maybe he comes back into the league as, as a rebounder, you know, maybe a, a, someone who can go grab boards for you. But I don't know if he can develop any sort of like ball handling skills because he, he seems very lost. I think now, the fact that um, the Nets signed Norvell Pell, who is a 27-year-old, who I think has, what, 20 games of NBA experience in his life, and they signed him? Mm. He's, seven, he's seven feet tall. It, Reggie Perry's not that tall. I think Reggie Perry's only like probably like six, six or something. Six, seven. Uh, bro, like... So that's a big difference. Go join the local men's league. <laughs> <laughs> No, but you know what was more disappointing was watching TLC play in that OT. The Nets are winning. They should win. It's like that garbage time where, like, you know, it's it's a foul, then then free throws, then they come down and shoot, and then foul and free throws. 
The Nets could have closed the game earlier. There was an inbound where they just had to play like half decent defense. And we've commended TLC for being like a heads up player in the past. And Herder just sees, I think it was Reddish just cutting to the hoop and he tosses the ball to him. And they literally killed 0.3 seconds with a dunk because TLC lost his man and just like watched this guy like dunk over his head. Now, yeah. I know the Nets still won, but like in a, in a more dire situation, I would have been like so furious after that play because of how poorly he defended his man. Yeah, I imagine the, the huddle, they probably just said no threes, no fouls. So the Nets were up by five when that happened. I remember being frustrated because like the game should just be over. But as long as they didn't give up a three, like they really still had control to just hit one free throw. So it was a frustrating play to watch for sure. But I'm guessing in the huddle, they probably said, just stand on the perimeter, and if someone goes behind you, like, so be it. Because I've seen, I've seen that happen plenty of times. I think that was probably the strategy, as awful as it looked. I'm not, like, yeah, maybe I don't want to give really, too much credit, but I th- it was probably the strategy. Maybe it was just really good execution by the, the Hawks to get, like, an inbound dunk, essentially. But, man, Watching TLC be there to catch the ball as it goes through the net, I'm like, wait a minute, guy. Aren't you the? Aren't you supposed to be the one protecting the guy who just what dunked are you on you? What you doing, guy? Like you you could have caught. You could have like at least killed like another second or two on the clock. Jesus. I think, All right. Um, well, that's. I think that's TLC's for... probably happy my dad isn't the coach because he would have probably cried and retired by now. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Definitely. He would have got yelled at. What are you doing? And in these empty stadiums, Rick, with like there's no fans, the echo off the walls would have been so loud. Everyone would have heard like this. My dad just berate TLC on the floor. Like, what are you doing? Stay with your man. It's crunch time. And it's like, sit the hell down. You don't want to play defense? You're not going to play at all. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah, it would have been really bad. I would have cried. Uh, all right, well, it's time for our Thursday pod around the league. Thursday, oh, Friday morning pod. Where we talk about the games that happened on Wednesday night. Seems like Mondays and Wednesdays have, like, the most games. There was, like, 12 games yesterday. It was crazy. Anyway, last night, watching NBA TV. Um, and Channing Fry is on NBA TV, and he refers to Bradley Beal on the Wizards as a delicious steak with a turd on top of it. And he's right. Dude had 47 in a bad loss to the Pelicans. They weren't even close. 47 points, and they still lose. He's probably scored 40-plus points in, like, seven games that they've lost this season. That's not even an exaggeration. I think that actually might be a a legit fact. And I know that the Wizards have Beal because Beal signed a contract with them, and Beal actually seems like he wants to be there, but... I think for like both of their best interests, they should free Beal. I'm kind of on team free Beal just because it's not fun to watch them play. Their team is so atrocious that I I think that they need to be in full rebuild now. And there's no one they can bring in to make this situation better. So they should really just get rid of Beal now while they can. What do you guys think about that? I am not on team free Beal because he's on my fantasy team and he's scoring a lot of points right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So someone unbiased, please. (laughs) If he goes to another team and he's like the third option, he's only going to score like 20 a game. And I I want those 47 points. No, in all seriousness, um, he signed the contract when he shouldn't have signed it. And we, we all knew it when he did it. We're like, dude, get out of there. Like the wizards are like John wall was in like year two of his injury. No sign in sight of coming back healthy. And Bradley Beal signed a max extension. Like, that was a dumb move. Sorry. Um, I feel bad for you because you're playing really well, but you know what you signed up for. So I think it's good character building. He'll learn from it. <laughs> well, Mike is Mike is right. Like, I don't know. I, I do agree. Like, you, if you sign a contract, like, especially, like, going into it, like, knowing, like, the likely outcome. Like, yeah. he, didn't he didn't sign it. Screwed. Like, yeah, it wasn't like, hey, I'm re-signing with, like, the Wizards, and I think we're going to be a contender. It was like, I'm re-signing with the Wizards, this is like a dumpster fire, and I'm just jumping in without any, like, flame-retardant clothing on. Then, yeah, like, you shouldn't be surprised that you now have third-degree burns. But um, I'd like – Bradley Beal seems like a good guy, so I guess I would like to be on uh, Team Free Beal. Like, I think there are a lot of teams that really make – a lot of sense for him too. Like I think the Heat would be a great fit. 
Um, I think the perfect fit would be um, the Sixers, too. I think if they just did some sort of like Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal trade, kind of similar to what the Sixers were trying to do for Harden, I think that makes a lot of sense because Ben Simmons literally can't shoot. I was listening to another like radio show, and they said if you were at the Y and you were playing against Ben Simmons, you would have no problem just not even picking him up on defense because you're not afraid to see him shoot. Um, it's also like, I don't know, for me, you hate to see guys that are like trying their best and like giving them their all and like they still lose and they're like sitting on the bench, they're like so dejected and like defeated and they're just like, oh my God, like I I could drop 47 and we're still getting waxed. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's it sucks for him, but I guess at the same time, I do get what Mike's saying, like you kind of should have known that this was gonna happen. Yeah. Here's my, I don't get to watch these Wizards games, so I don't know the flow of the game and when the shots are coming. But the last three games, he was 17 for 37, 12 for 28, and 13 for 29. Like, yeah, he's scoring a lot of points, but those are all under 50 percent, and yeah. he's got four, five, three turnovers with those. So like, it's not like he's completely he's, absent of of them losing the game. He's ball hogging, and and maybe that's negatively affecting his teammates because they're not getting into any sort of rhythm. I mean, look, he probably gave them a chance, and they didn't take the chance. So he was like, well, then, if you're going to suck, then I'm going to take all the shots that you would have had. So I understand why he's doing it, but I don't – I mean, he should stop looking so dejected on the sidelines because it's not going to get any better, man. Like, this is what it's going to be like every game, dude. Just get over it. I will say I'm, I'm like, reveling in, like – the fact that Russell Westbrook is just leading a trash team right now. This is pretty sweet. I, I am I'm again waving the flag that Russell Westbrook is too big, crusty, cottage cheese, booty cheeks. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, Rick, I hate to remind you, but guess what one of their three wins is this year? <laughs> Against the Nets. And they're yeah. playing on Sunday, so... Boy, if they lose to this team, I will fucking die. I will yeah. literally just die. My heart will stop. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I will not be happy. You know, <laughs> we've already said like, we've said before some of the games even start that like we're angry and it hasn't even tipped off. If they lose to the Wizards and Russell Westbrook, by God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, there were actually a bunch of close games last night, not only the Nets game. Um, first one I want to talk about was the marquee game of the night. It was Sixers and Lakers. Sixers had a really nice, sizable lead, and they almost blew the game. Lakers came back, scored like 13 points in a row. They actually took the lead with like 15 seconds left. But Tobias Harris, of all guys, hit the go-ahead shot. They win the game 107-106. Look. We're going to talk about Embiid probably for many weeks, talking about how he might be an MVP candidate this year. Because, dude, he's playing great. Absolutely unbelievable. But I'm kind of surprised by Tobias Harris because I I was really counting him out last year. Watching him play on the Sixers, I I just don't get it. Like, there was so much hype for him coming from, from the Clippers to the Sixers, and I feel like he's overpaid. But dude's playing pretty good this year. Um, have you guys, did you guys get to watch any of the clips from uh, the game last night or read anything about it? I saw the shot he hit and I'm not surprised he can hit a shot like that. I actually am a big Tobias Harris believer. I think last year was just a down season on the Sixers for a lot of reasons because they didn't space the floor well with who they had as their personnel. But I really like the current lineup and I said it in our season preview. I like the Sixers team a lot on paper and how they play uh, with the space with Danny Green and Seth Curry. Harris is a lethal shooter, but he's also kind of bigger than a lot of people realize. So he gets off shots that maybe other players wouldn't. So that was the shot he hit last night. It was like a turnaround. Caruso actually played pretty good defense, but he just hit a great shot, and he's capable of doing that. So I like him as their closer because, you know, Simmons isn't going to hit a shot. Embiid is a risky, you know, last possession shooter because he's going to go too slow. So I think Harris is going to have to be the guy if they want to make those kinds of shots. So. I believe in him. I think he can do it. I'm a Harris believer. Okay. Yeah, I think the only reason though he hit it is because Alex Crusoe is probably just thinking about the playoffs, right? Because he's yeah. just 
<laughs> Alex Caruso is just like he's a playoff guy. He's playoff bound. He's, yeah, he just doesn't get that adrenaline rush like he did in the playoffs. Bro, he's addicted to the playoffs. Yeah, there's a podcast, guys. If you ever interested in listening to other people's podcasts, Duncan Robinson's got a pod. Alex Caruso and him are just jerking each other off about how great the playoffs are. Meanwhile, they were riding the coattails of LeBron James and, and Jimmy Butler. So I don't know. I mean, look, they can. They were good players. They're good. I'm not taking away anything away from their game, and I would be very happy to have either of those guys on my team. Are they the reason why they were in the finals? No. Now, I also want to say as a quick uh, jab at the Lakers, my least favorite team in the league, that they lost because they wore blue. I'm tired of the fucking Lakers wearing blue and, like, periwinkle to games. Wear fucking purple and gold. That is your team colors. Wear them, man. I mean, you know what? I even like the Black Mama jerseys. I think they look really fucking cool. The Black Mama jerseys are great. They can wear those every night. I'd be happy. But they wore blue. Like, their original colors from, like, the 60s or whatever. That's why they lost. Don't wear those jerseys anymore. <laughs> so how do you feel about the, the, the Nets tie-dyes then? I like them, but I like the black jersey better. Okay. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. So you don't, you don't like, hate the tie-dyes, though? Uh, you know what? They're winning games in them. If they right. start losing games in them, I'm going to be like, fuck these fucking tie-dye jerseys. <laughs> All right. I how do you feel really of- like them. I feel like that's our – it's a new identity almost of, like, hey, this team is a new Nets team. Like, this doesn't feel like the same Brooklyn Nets teams of the last few years. So every yeah. time they wear those standard black ones or the standard white ones, I actually get, like, um, negative feelings. I'm like, ugh, we struggled oh. in those. So when they break out the uh, the new city editions, the, the black ones, and then these blue ones, like, I feel like this is our current Nets team. Mm-hmm. And it gives me a sense of, like, even though we haven't played that well overall, like, the future. A fresh start. Yeah. 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 And it's a New Jersey throwback, so, like, props to Jersey. We're all Jersey guys. Yeah. But I guess, like, the team seems to be really into the, the throwbacks, too, because they've worn them at least five times now or something. I feel Meanwhile, like they've, they've worn them just as much as the other ones. Exactly, yeah. But they haven't worn their um, Basquiat jersey that much at all. I think they wore it twice, and it was, like, in back-to-back games. Now, do you like those? I mean, I was starting to warm up to them, actually. Even though they're asymmetrical, I kind of was warming up to those. I don't know. Like, look, they win games. I, I'll, Maybe I'll be wearing a fucking throwback Nets jersey in our mm-hmm. next pod. Who knows? Like, mm-hmm. keep winning games, guys. But screw the Lakers and their dumb blue jerseys. Jazz have won 10 games in a row. We were talking last week about how the Jazz are on a little hot streak. Their streak got even fucking hotter. <laughs> they look great. They won last night easily against the Mavs without Donovan Mitchell by 12. Jordan Clarkson, Rick, you made the wrong move, man. Dude led the team by 31. He's, Bro, he's the truth. He is. Max. He's going to be the sixth man of the year probably. I yeah. I think, I've again, I've said this on a previous pod because I talk about my fantasy team just because it helps us, you know, get more in tune with other players in the rest of the league. I traded him as, like, the throw-in piece in a deal for Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram is playing well, but he's not even playing as well as Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> Jordan Clarkson is playing unbelievable for a six-man. I mean, dude should start, but you know what? If he's keeping the team in games when their best players are not on the court, then keep being the six-man, Jordan, because you guys, Utah Jazz, are probably... I mean, they've always been good. They've always been like in the contention. They've always been playoff-bound. But, you know, 10 games in a row now. They have the best hot streak in the league. Um, good for them. And although I also want to mention that the Mavs, I know they've been riddled with COVID protocols and everything, but it seems like every team is just like, okay, let's just double team Doncic and let the other guys lose them the game. And it works. All you have to do is just guard Doncic well. He'll still get his points. He'll still get his, his triple doubles or whatever. But let the other guys in the team, like, take every shot they want. They're still not going to win games. I feel like the Mavs, they, even though they have a guy like Doncic, they just can't get it done. I, I really don't understand what it is other than that. I just think they don't really have, like, a lot of other options that scare you. I mean, I know there are some people that are, like, Kristaps believers and 
um, think he's really good. I mean, even when he was with the Knicks, I, I thought he was, like, okay, but not, like, a superstar like some people think he is. Um, he doesn't particularly scare me. Um, and then, like, after that, like, I don't, I don't know, like, does, does Tim Hardaway Jr. really strike fear into the heart of a defense? No, not really. So, um, yeah, it's it's it, you're right. Like, it's pretty easy. Like, double double Luca, and, like, you're you're pretty good. Yeah, I want to comment on the Jazz because you kind of you mentioned them and then uh, went on to the Mavericks. But the Jazz, one of my favorite things about them, I'm looking at all their um, their team leaders and different stats. Very different than the Nets is they all have pretty prominent roles on this team where the Nets have our big three and you'll throw the ball to them at any point and hope they get to a bucket. But, like, that's what they are. They're all scorers. Well, the Jazz have their superstar scorer, Mitchell. They have their inside defender, rebounder, Gobert. Then they have Conley, who's really just there to make sure everything runs smoothly, and then he'll hit a three if he needs to. And then they have six-man, Jordan Clarkson, who they rely on night in and night out. And I think that's kind of rare for an NBA team these days to have different guys as your best at different things. Like, someone is the best scorer, but not also the guy who's going to get the most assists. Like, it seems like the modern NBA superstar is the guy who gets both now because they always have the ball. So they also are the facilitator. This Jazz team seems like they have a guy for everything. And they have some depth with Bogdanovich and Ingles. Uh, They've got some big guys with favors. O'Neal plays tough. This is a well-built team, but I'm afraid that it won't carry over in a playoff series. And I think that's the problem every year for the Jazz is when it comes down to crunch time in the playoffs. What do they do? Who do they give the ball to? And does Donovan Mitchell step up? Yeah. They kind of remind me, uh, Mike, a little bit of those um, those old Grizzlies teams. You yeah. Know, with like, uh, it was with Conley, Tony yeah. Allen, Rudy Gay, Zebo, um, Marcus Saul. Like, yeah. you know, they were really well built. Like, if you're like a GM and you're building a team, that's kind of like how you would do it. But like, they just, I don't know, there was always that like little piece missing i guess to get them over the top but they have a lot of similarities to that and and uh, i know we always like those those grizzlies teams and i think that's also why we like like the jazz this year too jazz were in the east they would be like a top seed i think that jazz would be the number one seed maybe they'd be competing with the bucks every year but the fact that they're in the west is what screws them the utah jazz are so well-rounded that they do really well usually against teams like the nets who are a brand new team every year you know they always have like new guys that they have to mesh with and they have a new coach and they have a new this and a new that and young guys are kind of making a name for themselves on their teams a lot of teams in the east are like that there's not a lot of teams like that in the west a lot of teams in the west have been playing together like these jazz have been playing together for about five years now these guys and it shows they they all know exactly how they play they know how to work together and you can trust them to make it every time at least keep it close with most teams so if you ran a 2k simulation like some of us used to like to do they'd probably win the championship at least have the number one seed like you were just saying but i'm just worried that in crunch time in the playoffs if they run into lebron or if they run into maybe even the nuggets again you know that they're going to run into some trouble yeah, I I picked them to beat the Nuggets. I really thought they were gonna beat the Nuggets. I like I because like I like the Jazz last year too. I'm I'm a really big Donovan Mitchell fan. I, I think he's a a great player and a great guy. Uh, I think he's better than Shaq thinks he is, but I guess that's a topic for another pod. But um, but yeah, I, I thought they were gonna beat the Nuggets and it didn't work out. And uh, I don't know. Maybe this is the year after like going through those struggles last year and um, coming up short. Maybe. Maybe this is where they get over the hump this year. Yeah, I'm pulling for him. I'm pulling for him. But there are some other exciting teams in the West. And a, a team, another team that's been just not going away for years is the Spurs. Even though we've been counting on the Spurs to finally end their reign, Spurs keep winning games that we don't expect them to win. They won a close one last night against the Celtics. Kemba Walker got his pocket picked by DeJounte Murray in one of the last possessions of the game, and it essentially ended the game. It was like a straight, like, arm right in the hand where the ball is, knocked it right out. Dante Murray had, like, a wide-open dunk, and that put them ahead four with, like, 20 seconds left, 15 seconds left, and that was it. The Spurs are just not going away. They have that young core. It's beyond solid. 
I really like what I see from guys like Murray, but also like Keldon Johnson. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. He plays like he's been in the league for 10 years. I think this is what? This is his sophomore year. I, if I was a Spurs fan right now, I'd be really, really excited about this team. And and also DeMar. DeMar DeRozan, is, uh, he, he's not quitting on them either. He could if he wanted to, but he plays with heart every game. And he's not the best shooter, but he drives to the hole well. He knows how to pass the ball well. He's a good veteran presence to have on this team. So, yeah, the Spurs are are pretty legit. I can see them sneaking their way into the playoffs again. Yeah, they're a weird team. <laughs> I'm looking at their stats, and DeMar DeRozan averages 20. And then after that, they have four guys that average around 14 to 15 points, two more guys that average 11 and 12, seven guys total averaging double figures. That's weird in the NBA. That's very strange to have your number one guy average so low, but then have seven guys in in double figures. So they're a well-rounded attack. Uh, I'm excited for them just that they'll be relevant. This team's not going to win a championship. Not this year, maybe not for a couple, possibly on how they draft, but They'll be fun to watch, and if they make the playoffs, they'll, they'll give the number two or three or one seed or whoever they might face uh, a test. But I don't think they're going to get past the first round. No. Yeah, I don't know. They they have some really exciting young talent, but it the NBA is a superstar league, and I think now that, like, Duncan is gone and, like, Ginobili and Parker are gone, it's going to be really tough to find that stuff. Like, um. DeMar DeRozan is, like, a big name, but he's not, like, really a winning basketball player. Um, yeah. yeah, he's he's just, he's not. So, like, he's a good guy, but, you know, that doesn't mean you're <laughs> a winning basketball player. LaMarcus Aldridge, I think, is 36, maybe 37. He's, like, he's got one foot out the door already. So those are two big-name guys that aren't going to be around long. And now that, like, the big-name guys are gone – I think it's going to be hard for San Antonio to, like, attract, like, free agents. It's going to be difficult for them to build a winner. I'm not saying they can't. Um, The Spurs just got really lucky, like, 20-some-odd years ago when they had, like, David Robinson and they were a good team. And then he had a season-ending injury. So they ended up with the number one pick because he didn't play. And then he came back and they drafted Duncan. And then they were a dynasty for the next 20 years. So it was almost like a situation like how the, the Warriors had with Curry and then ended up with, like, the number what, two or three pick. Um, so exciting young guys, but they're going to have to somehow acquire a superstar. Maybe maybe Bradley Beal? Well, the cool thing about the Spurs, and I guess this is a testament to how good their front office is, is all of their players who we talk about as like exciting young guys were all drafted by them. They have mm-hmm. DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, Keldon Johnson, Devin Vassell, all of those guys were picked by them over the past couple of years, and they're all playing very well. If they were to somehow, either maybe in the next week, next year's draft, get another great guy, or somehow with the trade options, get an all-star on this team, they could legitimately be a, a, a real team in the league because this team is just really good at drafting. They know exactly what they're doing. They know they can sense talent in, in certain guys that are under the radar and. Yeah, like if you told me that these guys would be on a team that beats teams like the Celtics and the Lakers, I would be kind of shocked before the season started. But all these guys are playing with heart. They play really well. Maybe it's because of pop. Maybe it's because of the front office. But, yeah, you can't count the Spurs out. So I have like an overarching NBA-wide thought to run by you guys here with Greg Popovich. and So excited. So Greg Popovich has been coaching this team for so long. He's kind of bridged two eras of basketball. And I don't, off the top of my head, I can't think of another coach who's currently coaching as long as Popovich. If you guys think of one, let me know. But stars in this league don't want to be coached anymore. And I think that's a real problem that the NBA has now, where we saw for decades the Jordan with Phil Jackson wanted to be coached like hard. Then Phil Jackson coached Kobe and Shaq like hard, and he made it work. Then Popovich with with Duncan and Tony Parker and Ginobili like that's been documented before. Um, Doc Rivers coaching up those Celtics teams. It doesn't seem like superstars want a coach to actually coach. They just want to like run the team themselves. The coach is more of like a cheer you on your buddy kind of guy who's gonna like 
give you the mm-hmm. green light to shoot whenever you want to shoot, and he's not going to make the tough decisions to like really pull you. Like are, we're never going to see another Popovich grabbing Tony Parker by the jersey and screaming at him. And that worries me for the Spurs is that I don't know if a superstar like Durant would go to play for Popovich anymore. Like as respected as Popovich is, do you see a potential free agent wanting to put themselves through that? Or is Popovich even going to coach them the same way he used to? It's you know, I, I think that the problem is LeBron. I think a guy like LeBron, I'm serious. I think a guy like LeBron, who is a very brilliant basketball mind, who has been able to make, you know, schlubs, take schlubs to finals and win games with guys who you never even heard of. Um, because of him, a lot of players have belief, not in their coaches, but in their star players. They look at their star player as the guy who's going to carry them. They kind of believe in them as the guy who's going to bring them to the greatness that they want. And so when people are free agents or people are looking around the league, like, who do I want to play with? Who can I succeed with? They're looking at all-stars like LeBron or like a KD or like a Giannis because they believe in them the way that guys used to believe in coaches 20 years ago. They see the success that they've had. They see the success that LeBron has had. And they think, well, it can't be the coaches. He's had success everywhere. It's not about the coach. It's about LeBron. And it might be true, but, you know, I'm not saying that Eric Spolstra or Tyron Lue are bad coaches because I think Eric Spolstra is actually a great coach. I don't know if Tyron Lue is okay, but Eric Spolstra is a great coach. But they believe in LeBron. They believe in guys like LeBron. And that's why players are not, you know, sticking around no matter how good the coach is. They're going to find a guy – who transcends coaching. Right, but could you see two free agents like this offseason? I don't know who, you know, off the top of my head, I don't know who they might be, but could you see two guys like Kyrie and KD did where they got together and they said, let's go play for Brooklyn? Do you see two guys doing that and saying, let's go play for Pop? No, because it's in San Antonio. It's in San but, Antonio. But they have, a, they have, like, established success and, like, you know. Yeah, but... The, the the fallback on and playing for Brooklyn is that it's Brooklyn. Yeah. That was like, like if it was like let's go play for Minnesota. Like that doesn't yeah. happen. It, it's right. the location. But, but my argument is Pop should bring that kind of desire to play because he has proven for 20 years now that if you're a good player on the Spurs or, or two or three good players like you're going to have a chance. So I'm just surprised that more players aren't doing that. And Mm -hmm. I think it's because of this, well, we don't want to be coached hard. Yeah. I think, I think in those situations, like I side with Josh, like I, for whether it's right or wrong, like the location does take precedent. Cause like KD and Kyrie are not going to the nets. If they're like the Minnesota nets, it's just not going to happen. They could have Phil Jackson in Minnesota. I just don't think they're going to play for like the Minnesota nets or something. Um, but if like if Pop were in say like in a big market team, I think they'd have no problem with it. Um, and but like to your point too, I think like you're right for like the most part, Mike. And then I think in a couple years it'll it'll end up being entirely what you're saying. Like I could see like some guys wanting to play there. Like I could see someone like Dame Lillard and or like uh, Donovan Mitchell or Giannis, like there are some players that I could see want to be coached by pop. Like there's, but those are like the guys who obviously are sticking it out long-term with even like small market franchises. So like there aren't many of those guys. Um, so I guess the fact that they even stay with those franchises mean they're not like going somewhere else in free agency. But like, I think some of players do exist that want that coaching, but I think like after pop, I don't think there's like a single coach in the league that anyone's going to be like, yo, I really like want like to be under the tutelage of like Brad Stevens or Quinn Snyder, or Eric Spolstra. I just don't think any coaches have that cachet anymore. And uh, like, like you guys are saying, like it's kind of like a club almost like, let me like, like see if I can get my buddy the job. Right. And coaches for the most part now are kind of timeout callers and minute managers is, is really what they are for the most part. And I think we even saw with the Nets, like they had a timeout and like Steve Nash wasn't even in the huddle. Kyrie was like running the huddle, which I think is, is, is mind blowing to me. Um, and I, I, I did not like seeing that, but yeah, you're right. Like, like Kyrie said, like we don't even have a coach. Like no, you literally have a coach, but I guess like you just don't respect him. And I think too, um, like that, 
culture and way of like players and the relationship to coaches is now I think we're seeing it carry over into the NFL and without like going too far into that topic because it's entirely different sport um like Deshaun Watson is like pulling a James Harden right now and saying to the Texans who he's under contract with for like four more years he's saying like dude I, I, I'm out I don't want to play for you guys like I'm gone and yeah, like, but we're a little more sympathetic to Deshaun to, to Watson than we were to uh, James Harden. Because James Harden, he made so many moves that the, the Houston Rockets had to kind of bow to him. Whereas Deshaun Watson's just been a guy. He's just been playing really well, and the, uh, the Texans have done nothing for him. No, yeah, like the situations are different, but I think just that way of thinking now is going is slowly making its way into the NFL too. Like, remember Jalen Ramsey, like when he was like playing with the Jaguars, like he just like he didn't want to play, so he was just like, you know what, my back hurts. <laughs> he was just like, and he was just like, I'm out injured. Sorry, bro, <laughs> trade me. If you trade me, my back will feel better. <laughs> but um, so like stuff like that happens. Yeah, I just but. To go back to the original point, I, I don't see players really holding much weight with who the coach is. If you can get your buddy on the team and you can, like, have fun and hopefully win, that's really what matters most to these guys. Yeah. Uh, two more games I want to talk about. One was quickly, Jamal Murray did not decide to play his opponent's nutsack like a violin yesterday, like he did on Monday. Um, they beat the Heat easily. However, I will just say this. The Heat are just so much better than their record. Their record makes them seem like they're not going to make the playoffs. But the Heat, when they get their guys back, are going to be contenders. I'm telling you, even if they have to play in the play-in, they're going to find their way through the play-in, and then they're going to play whoever in the first round of the playoffs and be a, a very hard team to beat. The Heat are good. However, the Nuggets, who have been winning their games, I think are not that great. I think Jokic is a stud. I think Jokic is a potential MVP candidate. I don't think anyone on the Nuggets other than him is really blowing me out of the water right now. So, you know, Jamal Murray's hot and cold. Will Barton's hot and cold. Paul Millsap, I don't know why he's still in the league. These guys on the Nuggets are not that great. However, they still keep winning games. The Heat just have so much talent. Their record does not really speak for who they are. And I'm assuming you guys would probably agree with that. Yeah, the Heat haven't really been full strength, right? Most of the season, they've they've dealt with more COVID stuff than most others. So I'll I'll cut them a break. I disagree with your your Nuggets analysis, though. I actually think they are a good team, and I think they're similar to what you were saying about the Jazz. They've been together for a while with most of that team. Uh, Porter was new last year as the rookie, but I like their they play defense for the most part. I think Mike Malone always gets on them. Whenever they start losing games, it's it's because of their defense. So even if the offense doesn't look great all the time, Jokic is one of those players who is good enough to elevate everyone else, enough to win games. Now, again, will it work in the playoffs? Probably not. We've seen it a few years in a row. But I'm glad they're winning games. I They got off to a bad start with uh, their record, but I'm glad they've kind of climbed back. I'd like to see them in the mix again. I root for them. Yeah, I, I actually think they're really good, too. Jamal Murray is, like, he even said himself, and you would know this, Josh, because he's on your team. He said, like, his elbow hurts every time he shoots. Like, that's that's a problem. But, like, if they're still, like, winning games and playing well and he's, like, crying every time he shoots the ball, um, that's that's just going to get better. Like, if he takes a couple games off or, or like, a week and he, and he gets his elbow right and hopefully becomes Bubble Murray again, because um, we saw he was incredible in the bubble. And Michael Porter Jr., I am so upset that I waited an extra round to draft him. Um, he's really taken a, a huge step forward this year and has actually become a really good player um, and is probably one of the best trade pieces in, in the league right now. And I don't imagine the Nuggets would trade him, but he's he has a ton of value and is a really good third option on this team. So uh, I, I'm... I'm hoping uh, the Nuggets and the Jazz play each other in the in the playoffs again because I think that would be a really fun series. Yeah. No, I mean, look, if Michael Porter Jr. is actually going to play as well as he's been, because he, he also missed a bunch of games because of COVID, then maybe they are a little better than what I mentioned. But I don't know if he might actually step up and become the second option because I don't really ha- I don't really see it with Murray, and I don't think his elbow 
this is maybe uh, me like just reading the lines. I don't really think his elbow is the reason why he's shooting that bad. I think he takes really bad shots. And so it's an excuse? Yeah, I think it's a little okay. bit of an excuse. I, I, that, I could buy that too, though, because I feel like if if your like elbow hurts as bad as you're saying, uh, yeah. like how come you have not sat? sit you? Yeah, right. Like they have good shooters on that team. They could sit him and they'd still win games. I don't know what it is with Murray. I don't know if it's an ego thing. I don't know if it's like if it's real or not. But dude, if your elbow hurts and your shoulder hurts, like yeah, sit out for a week. You screw me fantasy wise, but like you you like you're hurting your body by doing this, and these games don't matter so much. The games in three months matter, and if you keep playing with a bruised elbow, one day you're going to wake up, you're not going to be able to bend that elbow. You, you can't do that, man. See, the problem is he's not, like, addicted to the playoffs, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he needs to really talk with Alex Caruso and Doug Because <laughs> I don't understand what Bro, really are you means. even an addict or, or no? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, okay, so this leads into our final segment where we talk about the Nets' upcoming games. They're playing the they're playing the Thunder tomorrow, and they play the Wizards on Sunday. Now, I'm not worried about that Wizards game. I mean, if they lose, I'll be worried, but I'm not worried about the Wizards game. I'm worried about tomorrow's game because the Suns, who are a good team, lost to OKC yesterday. I think OKC had a win on Monday as well. I kind of get a little scared of guys like Al Horford. Now, Al Horford maybe couldn't do it last year in the Sixers, but he's doing just fine on a very average team. And he's a big guy who can space the floor because he can shoot the ball and he can go in the paint and just play like your basic center role as well. And that's like Nets kryptonite. So I really am worried about Horford. The way that he exposed them the last time they played was really depressing. That was my least favorite game they've played so far this year was that game they lost to the OKC. Um, I'm worried about Horford tomorrow. What do the, what changes? Because this was before Harden that they played them. What changes tomorrow against OKC that they didn't have last time they played? It's the like the shot distribution. I, I do think that these guys are becoming more comfortable playing with each other and have a better realization of each of their roles and what's expected of them. Um you know, I think early on after Kyrie first returned after the Harden trade, like Jimbo had like four shots or eight shots. And like the there was a big discrepancy between the three guys. Now they're all about like mid-20s, give or take, for the points. And they're all about maybe like 17 shots apiece. Um, and it seems like they're getting pretty comfortable with um, mostly James Harden being – the guy who takes up the ball as well. I don't know if you guys saw this last night, um, but James Harden had 15 assists, which is, again, the new Nets single-season assist record. <laughs> um, he leads the league in assists. So I, I just think the roles are more defined. Um, maybe Norvell Pell plays, and if he does even, it wouldn't be that much. But um, I just think that I, I'm seeing like the improvement. The defense isn't there, turnstiles all day. Um, so that's, it's going to be tough. Like it, it should be a blowout, but it won't like, we'll, we're going to go in and be like, yeah, we're going to kick some ass. And then it'll be like the third quarter and we're like, Jesus Christ, it's a tie game. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I, I just think they're more comfortable playing with each other. I think that's the biggest difference. Okay. Yeah. I agree with all that. So I'm not going to really add much to that, but I just want to say Lou Dort, uh, gave James Harden a lot of trouble last season and James Harden wasn't fat last season. Mm-hmm. Dude, so, Lou Dort would be perfect for the Nets. Yeah, I hope James Harden figures him out a little bit better to, uh, tomorrow. I just think yeah. I just think uh, James Larden <laughs> or <laughs> Jimbo the Hut is just, I just I don't know I'm I'm Team Chunky Harden. He looks like man... he got he got some pep back in his step last night. Oh man, let that let that man cook. <laughs> well, Lou, Dort, Lou Dort's a hell of a defender, and I hope uh, that could be the difference in the game, honestly. Chris Paul had to score 30 points yesterday, and they still lost. I don't know what's happening with the Suns, but Blue Dort had to have something to do with it. And again, they're playing the Washington uh, losers on Sunday, and man, if they don't win that game, Jesus. If they don't win that game by like 20, 20 points, boy, we're going to be mad on Monday. Well, you won't be here, Rick, unfortunately. So oh, that's dude, okay. I'll, I'll be refreshing the, the score on my phone constantly, though. I mean, I you know what? I, I'll, I'll be in the car. I'll be driving. And if I don't make it home, it'll be because I ran off the road in anger. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
either either ran off the road in anger or just just drove on incoming traffic yeah. <laughs> because it would be so frustrating. Yeah, it's um it's a game like it's not just a game they should win, like it's a gimme. It should be like twenty plus points. It should be like Russell Westbrook six for twenty four and oh one for eight from three. Like it should just be Coyton's mossy, but like yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Mike, you're in for one hell of a fantasy week, that's for sure. Like, I know that he's already had 47 this week, but he's probably going to put up a 50, 50 bag on uh, on Sunday, too. Yeah, but I'm losing field goal percentage, and he's hurting that. So, uh, yeah, you know, that's true. One and one. Thanks for the points, but also, you know, I lose the field goal percentage. Oh, well. So, really quickly, I'm also going to mention that next week, probably next Thursday, next Friday, we're going to be uh, doing a little thing that we've I've never done before, and I know Mike also is not really uh, understanding how important this is in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. But Rick is uh, has a uh, history with this. Is we're going to be opening some basketball card packs. There's been a huge trend in basketball cards. They're booming right now. People are reinvesting their their money and their time into buying these packs, buying cards, trading cards. I mean, look, I was never a sports guy when it came to cards. I was a Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh guy when I was a kid. But I know that it's fun to open packs and get cards that potentially could be valuable. So next Friday's pod, we will be each opening a pack, talking about cards, talking about how they are valued. Rick, I know you know a lot more. Okay, so I'm not an expert, but you are right. I do have – a pretty extensive history and background with uh, collecting sports cards. I mostly I would collect baseball cards; those were just the most common. But I have collected uh, a ton of basketball as well. My brother is someone who uh, collects them often, even to this day, and he talks to me about them all the time. So I do have a lot of knowledge about that kind of stuff. And anything I don't know, I know I could even ask him, and I'll, and I'll be able to know about it. But um, yeah, the sports cards industry, for whatever reason, is is booming right now. Business is booming, and um, so I feel like it'd be fun to kind of get in on it a little bit. Um, maybe one of us will get lucky and get a, a valuable card in there, but even if not, uh, maybe there'll be some fun names or guys from the past or whatever that we can uh, talk about and reminisce, and I think it'll be fun to kind of see also not just like the kind of cards we get in there, but the differences in the packs, like what kind of cards do you get in a $3 pack of cards or as opposed to maybe a $7 or $10 pack of cards? And are those price differences even worth it? Um, are there specialty cards in certain packs? Sometimes that stuff happens, um, which is really cool as well. We'll kind of compare, talk, discuss. There's so and- much to talk about. It's possibly its own podcast. I know there's actually a podcast happening on The Ringer right now where they just talk about sports cards. So – yeah, I mean, it has its own cult. If we pull some fun stuff, I, I'm cool with it. If we pull a net, I win. That's how I feel. So hold on now. So if it, if, if it is a cult and we are now buying basketball cards, are we members of the cult? I think so. Well, it depends. <laughs> it depends. It depends how – Are we cult followers? Yeah, maybe. How many packs are. do we have to buy until we're officially in this – uh, I think if I spend over $100, I've officially given my soul to the cult. Okay, so, all right. Uh, I'm planning on spending guys, like $5, so we'll see. Okay, what, just for fun, what NBA player are you most hoping to get in a pack? Do these packs, How do they sell like all players from like, past years i don't really know much about they depend on they, it they, it depends on what packs you get but the most common packs will um only include uh present day players okay so for like that's, that's like the typical three to five dollar like packs it's only going to include like um present day guys for for past players there are packs that you can get uh for for those guys now if you buy packs that include players from the past they might be old players, but they're newer cards, so they won't have the value of it being like uh, a card from like the 80s or 90s. It's really just like uh, like a replica almost, so those don't really like have any monetary value. It's more just like cool to have the card of the guy. Um, if you wanted cards of older players, you're going to have to go to like a flea market, which is my favorite and my brother's favorite place to go. 
uh, for cards. So if next week we get into it, I have some fun stories about uh, trips to flea markets for for sports cards and memorabilia that I can share. Um, but you can also go to specialty shops, which um, also have some really fun, cool, and valuable cards, which I don't think have as good of the deals and is just not as exciting either. But um, it's going to be for the most part, just present day guys. So, is there other guys that you're really hoping for? I want TJ McConnell. TJ McConnell. <laughs> now, did you just pick up TJ McConnell right in, I did. in the league? Okay. I picked him up wow. just for assists. I love TJ McConnell. I think the Sixers made a huge mistake letting him go. I love TJ McConnell. He's the player yeah. that I would want to be if I had been blessed with height. <laughs> no, man. If I'm gonna pick a guy, and I actually want to pick someone who I like, I'm I'm thinking future on, and I'm thinking will be more valuable in the couple a couple years. I would want a guy like Shea Gilgis Alexander. That name like, came into my head too, but I I don't want the money. I just want you know my like guy. dude. Dude's a good player on an OK team right now, and OKC if they give him the bag and he stays, and they get all those draft picks that they have, who knows, man? 2023, OKC is the best team in the league. Who knows? So, I mean, in terms of value, I'm trying to think like I'm some sort of like fucking galaxy brain genius. I'm not. But I would say that SGA maybe would be the guy I'd want to get, like a, like a rookie SGA card. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be cool. I guess, uh, I don't know. We were talking about how big of a fan I am of him. Uh, Donovan Mitchell would be cool. I don't know. I think yeah. he, he has a young enough career where there might be some value in a card like that. Um but uh, just just for my fanhood, I think it'd be cool to have a card like that because I don't I don't have any Donovan Mitchell cards at the moment. So uh, I'm excited to to get a couple packs. I'll uh, I'll see. I don't know how much I'm going to spend on my pack. Maybe give or take around five dollars, and hopefully I get lucky. Yeah, hopefully we all get lucky. Well, anyway, thank you guys for listening to the best is net to come. We'll be back on Tuesday morning with our pod. I think it'll just be Mike and I, but Rick might have something to say as well. And, uh, yeah, twice a week, rest of the season. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Thanks so much. Have a good one.